The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Kia ora and welcome to Paper Cuts. And Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Happy New Year! The podcast all about books. <laughs> that was such a smooth transition, eh? <laughs> um, I am one of your hosts, Louisa Cossa, and I am joined by my dear comrades, Karen Dads and Jenna Todd. So yeah, welcome to 2020, everyone. It's January. We're feeling really proud of ourselves because we're already doing a pod. We're usually doing it we, just for you. Usually we take like quite an extended holiday, eh? <laughs> like including December and January. <laughs> so we're like February, to, February to November. But new, new year, new us. We're yes. very hardworking. Mm-hmm. Um, so today on Paper Cuts, we have our usual delicious menu of book news, book reviews, not books, and TBR piles. And you can always follow us on Twitter and Insta. We're at PaperCutsPod. And our email address is papercutspod at gmail.com. I certainly haven't checked that recently. How about you guys? I checked it. Ooh. Thanks, Crickets. Popping off? (laughs) Tumbleweed. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to. um, (laughs) No, that's good. This is your cue, friends, to drop us a line. Yeah, just say hi. We love it. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know what you would say. Just say hi. Just Just tell us. Tell us how we changed your life. We enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. All news is good news. Speaking of news, shall we get on to book news? Yes, please. Okay. Um, what Do we want to talk about the Romance Writers of America scandal really quickly? Jenna sent us this wild article. I know. It's kind of crazy. And I was like looking at it to try and debrief everybody on this wild story, but it's really long and intense. So I'm just going to give a, a brief overview because things have... Things have been happening um, in the last few days, actually. So, and I'm getting all of this information that I'm giving you right now from Vox.com. <laughs> Shout out to Vox.com. <laughs> so, um, the right, romance writing community's biggest professional organization is in a shambles, and they've cancelled their. This is Romance Writers of America, and they've cancelled their awards this year because so many people have pulled out their entries. So scandalous. And Tell this, us why, Jenna. Tell us why. Okay. So this was from um, what happened um, in December. In a December board meeting, the RWA board voted to suspend and permanently ban from leadership one of its most famous members, this woman called Courtney Milan. And she's known for historical novels c- containing progressive um 
themes and interracial relationships, et cetera, mm. and pro-feminist heroines. Um, and she's been on the board. She's won a service award, and she has a leadership role promoting diversity. So she's like the king of this organization. And what happened was um, there was these tweets. It was, a, you know, all stems from Twitter. As always. Where these two editors um, had started a conversation or had liked tweets that were perceived to be as racist whether white supremacy was real and then Christine Milan or Courtney Milan called everyone out and then the editors accused her of bullying and then yeah, oh, yeah. so it's just been a they really did not big explosion it well. and now the head of the committee has uh resigned and it's just a big kerfuffle Oh my god! Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if this makes sense, but we'll um, we'll we'll, we'll yeah. link you to the article, yeah. and I, I do recommend giving it a read because it is just such a roller coaster. I <laughs> yeah. said I said it around at work. I was like, guys, this is what's happening in other communities, you know, like because we don't really do romances. We need Catherine Robertson's take on it. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, great a great idea. idea. She would like she would like, like this story. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess what essentially what Courtney Milan was calling out was previous. Um, other romance writers, um, stereotypical Asian characters within their stories yeah. and um, like just really lame, non-researched, flat yeah. female Asian characters. Yeah, we can, all, we can all imagine and yeah. they got offended. what that's like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so she got called out on calling out. <laughs> <laughs> it's just this call out inception. It just goes around and around. <laughs> All right, well, moving on, um, the Booker judges have been announced, and the biggest piece of hot gossip about that is that Lee Child is one of them. Mm. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I think it is interesting. <laughs> but they had Val McDermott, was it last year? The year before. The year before. It was, before. This, it was the um, snap. Year. So the interesting thing, yeah, is that, you know, the yeah. Booker doesn't usually include um, genre fiction. And, no, um, and, and Lee Child is very sort of you know, blockbuster, kind, yeah. of, kind of mainstream. His his books are, you know, I would say, I read quite a lot of crime novels. Yeah. I would say that Lee Child's novels are not terribly written at all, but they're pretty formulaic. Yeah. So it doesn't really, yeah. it never really feels like you're kind of like testing yourself in, in that kind of literary way when you're reading it. I think definitely it'll test your like mind in other ways because like, ooh, what happened? But, um, you know, I, I think that definitely there'll probably be a bit of sniffiness um, regarding his appointment as a judge. But then, you know, they've had crime um, books on the shortlist and people dealt yeah. with that. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see what he um, comes up with. It will be really interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess, like, there's not that much accountability. Like, yeah. you never find out which judge voted yeah, for which exactly. book. Yeah. But my guess would be that he's a reader, so, yeah. and that's kind of the most important thing, I would say. I don't think... No offence to him, it will take very long to write his one book a year. No. Nah. And um, he'll <laughs> well, have a bit of time to Doesn't he them. smoke like seven joints a day or something? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, he's just on autopilot, glazed. Uh, <laughs> he is a delightful person. Like, yeah. yeah, he just charmed everyone in New Zealand when he came over here. <laughs> he's um, very zen. Very happy for him that he's got this gig. Not yeah. that he needs it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's joined by author Samir Rahim, writer Lamin Sisse, classicist Emily Wilson, with publisher Margaret Busby as the chairperson. Mm, yeah. yeah, they're all very worthy candidates. Um, Looking forward to it. 
Yeah, me too. Always, always. Um, what else? Uh, so coming up, we've got the Ockham Longness. It'll be announced on the 30th, so mm-hmm. we're just in time to be late for that, <laughs> as always. We can debrief on that next <laughs> month. So yes. we'll get long lists for fiction, illustrated nonfiction, general nonfiction, and poetry. Yeah, yeah. And your best new books as well. Yes. Always a good time. We love it. We'll be there. We will be. Um, I don't know if you guys wanted had much to say about this, but I thought I would mention the fact that Elizabeth Wurzel, the author of mm. Prozac Nation, mm. passed away this month. Yeah. And um, I, I, would, I had heard, the, heard that title many times, yeah. and I didn't really know that it was a book title. I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, Prozac Nation. It was kind of a phrase. Mm. Um, so I don't really have much to add, but I thought that um, as it, it's been all over the literary news, yeah, it's worth and, addressing. But also beyond literary news, I just noticed in a lot of my feeds, people who aren't um, part of the book world were posting about it. So obviously it had quite an impact. Oh, absolutely. Book, so. yeah. yeah. I, I would be interested to read it. I think mm. it's probably a forerunner for a lot of the kind of confessional mm. Um, fiction, uh, non-fiction that we read nowadays, which I really enjoy. Because did Prozac Nation come out in like 1993 or I'm not sure of the time? exact year. In the 90s. In the 90s. <laughs> she dip. said, hedging her bets. <laughs> um, all right. And then otherwise, other than that, we have a reminder that Margaret Atwood is coming to New Zealand. Yes. She's going to be here on the 11th of Feb at the Civic. And apparently, I'm just reading this from the notes, 25 tickets will be given away free to under 25-year-olds on the day. That's cool, eh? It's yeah. cool. I think you just log into her website and then there'll be a button that you can press to try and get it. Is she doing um, a talk anywhere else, like Christchurch or just Auckland? I think Christchurch too. Yeah, I, I feel like yeah, Christchurch too, though. but ugh, I don't know. <laughs> we can confirm that in <laughs> yeah. our notes we later. We put it in the notes. God, we're so Auckland-centric today. I, I just know. looked it up on Auckland. Oh, look, I mean, honestly, just getting out of bed is a struggle at this point. So <laughs> let's, just, <laughs> let's just take it easy. Um, all right. Are we ready to go to our book reviews? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. us. No more news? No, no news. news. I've got no news. Who wants to go first? Oh, there was one more thing I wanted to oh, yeah. ask you guys about. Mm. Do you have any New Year's reading resolutions? Oh, yeah, I thought I thought about this. And I think for me, I just want to keep doing the same where I'm supporting small presses and independent publishers and kind of looking at writers that push the boundaries of what fiction and nonfiction can be and championing those voices and reading more translated fiction. I love that. Mm. Yeah, I that's, love that. that's where I'm at. That's a great reading resolution. Um, I think I'm just going to go on a similar buzz that I am doing. I'm not about trying to hit numbers or anything. Mm. Um, but I, I do want to read more of just what I want, like mm. and getting more books out of the library. So that that usually I'm doing that with backlist stuff or really stuff mm. that has come out in the states in hardback but not quite here yeah. yet. Mm. And um, getting more into audiobooks, which I'll talk about later. Cool. Those are great. I. I, my resolutions include both of yours, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've decided, as of now. <laughs> they're both really good. Um, but I think my main resolution, which I've already put into action, is um, I met up with a dear friend of ours over the holidays, Telford Mills. Oh, Telford. Hey, Telford. Hey, Telford, we love it's you. It's like you're here with yeah, us Yeah, right it is now, like Telford. you're here one day. <laughs> and um, he 
he re- we were talking about what books we'd read, obviously, because we're really He's cool. He's a good reader. He is an amazing reader. He gave me some great recommendations, some of which I'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also went running away to get his notebook where he writes down every book that he reads. And I was like, that is a great idea. I've been I meaning do that. to do something that, like that for ages. I yeah, do that. I, yeah. I, yeah, exactly. Why, what am I doing not doing that? And so I've started doing that this year cool. and putting like one sentence. And so oh, oh, I don't go that far. Good. <laughs> yeah. I like the sentence. That's a great idea. I think the sentence is a good idea, but I'm also not going to put too much pressure on yeah. myself to do that. It's just all about what, what's achievable. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I just make it as read on Goodreads. Uh, I've got I, good I reads, but I don't do really good reads. I don't like all the buttons and the flash. Oh my God, I'm so old. What the fuck? I just, yeah. And all those <laughs> notifications. This person wants to be friends oh, with you. Oh, yeah. I hate that. No I, friends. I um, don't read. <laughs> I don't want your friendship. I've blocked no. all of the unsubscribe from every single email I get from yeah. them. And so I just have the app and mm. I just go into my thing, put it as read. Don't look at anything else. I'm oh, analog. Right. I like a list. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. And I don't want anyone to see what I'm reading. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unless it's on the podcast. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> so let's let's do let's do our book reviews. Um, do either of you feel like going first? I am slightly marshalling my thoughts at this point, but I could go. I could go ahead. I don't mind going first. Thanks, dude. Yeah. So the book that I've got today is this book here, Late in the Day by Tessa Hadley. Um, it came out in hardback um, not long ago, but it's actually due in paperback really soon. Like awesome. in February, early Feb. And I hope it gets a, a bit more of a wider audience than being in paperback because it's such a good... Have you read it, Lou? I love it. Oh, it's so good, eh? It um, beautiful. Really, really beautiful. She is an English writer and she's written seven novels. She's a creative writing professor and has, um, well, she reviews for the LRB, the London Review of Books. Mm-hmm. And this follows two couples in Hampstead, North London. It's one of those, the most expensive areas in London, an area known as the hub of the intellectual, liberal, artistic, musical, and literary minded, um, just like us. <laughs> Well, that's um, so intellectual. (laughs) And And rich. (laughs) Oh, no, wait. (laughs) Not yet. Soon, soon. But that's what these characters are. Um, I think to talk about the plot is kind of like, as I usually say, to talk about nothing because it sounds kind of unremarkable. It doesn't really sound like much, but it's a novel about friendship and relationships and ageing and infidelity and parenthood, but I think it's also about authenticity And it takes a really skilled writer, I think, to be able to handle those sort of obvious themes with kind of nuance and finesse, which is exactly what she does. I think this is the best kind of novel of its kind. And it was such a pleasure to read, such a pleasure to read. Um, So we've got a quartet of characters and it's based around two couples. Um, Christine's an artist who did her PhD on Christina Rossetti and she's married to a moody, broody um, primary school teacher Alex who was a poet when they were young and then there's Zachary who um, is an art dealer he owns his own gallery and his partner or his wife is Lydia and they've all known each other for around 30 odd years so they're very intertwined Um, and this isn't a spoiler but the book opens with a real bombshell Um, Zachary dies and it's not a spoiler to say that he collapses at work suddenly and dies of a heart attack. And I think the event at the beginning is a catalyst for um, sending the whole group into crisis. 
the whole dynamic of the group is rocked. And they say that out of all of them, Zachary is the one that they could least afford to lose because he was the glue. And, you know, he was really generous and exuberant and um, kind of the encouraging one. Uh, so we go into the backstory of these characters and the complexities of their relationships. Um, Christine and Lydia were old school friends and Zach and Alex were oldest friends as well. And I just love that they're really ordinary, flawed kind of characters. They're in a kind of recognisable domestic setting, which I think makes the disruption and crisis all the more sort of unsettling. Um, then we learn about the combinations of them were quite different. It was actually Lydia who was obsessed with Alex. He taught her at university and she became so obsessed with him that she schemed so that Christine and her could babysit for him and his first wife <laughs> to find out more about him. Mm. And she's sort of going around the house looking through all these things going, do you think they're still sleeping together? I don't think they are. Such a piece of work. <laughs> Such I a love piece it. of work, yeah. <laughs> And then um, it's actually Christine who ends up with Alex. So it's her friend that ends up with Alex. And we kind of learn that um, he doesn't really like her art as an artist. And he doesn't really respect her career as an artist or, yeah, just he doesn't really take it seriously. Then we learn about their children. Um, Their daughter Grace is at art school in Glasgow. And one of her projects is to take a photograph of... um, Zach in his coffin using arcane gear and um, techniques. But, yeah, I mean, it never ceases to be engaging and it's just really elegantly observed. Kind of about the shifts in friendship over time and relationships and she just kind of captures that emotional tone. Um, I'd love to read more of her backlist. I yeah. agree. I really fell in love with these characters. I know, even though you kind of think, oh, it's a bit bougie or a bit, you know, like white middle class. They but were just so well drawn. It, it's actually really nice to read about that for a change as well. You it know? is like, nice. So yeah. We, yeah. Yeah, it was just so skilled. It, um, it is kind of like a holiday in, in a glamorous location when you read a book yeah. like this. Eh? You're like, yes, yes, I wake up in my room in Hampstead, <laughs> you know, and the light is filtering through the linen curtains <laughs> and I feel such a sense of ennui. <laughs> NUI. <laughs> yeah, lots of NUI, yeah. Um, but, oh, well, no, no, this was Hannah August's favourite book, our friend, oh, Hannah, yeah, yeah, my yeah. friend Hannah August's right. um, yes, book Hannah last year. Yeah. And, um, um, when I'm thinking of the glue thing, that's one book I haven't read yet, but The, the Weekend by Charlotte Wood, the Australian yes, writer, yes. that's about a circle of friends where the glue dies Yeah, and everyone's just I thought lost of that without too. them. Yeah, yeah. good um, connection. And should I just talk about briefly two other books I yeah. read over the summer? Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, by the way, this is, this is the Bumper Summer Reading Edition. Yeah. <laughs> More bang hey. for your buck. Yeah. <laughs> So the first book I read this year was this one, Bradshaw Variations by Rachel Cusk. Um, I had a bit of a slow start to my reading year because I sort of stopped and started reading two other books which weren't quite hitting the spot, despite being by authors that I really love. And then I realised actually all I wanted to do was luxuriate in Rachel Cusk, who I know I talk about all the time. But um, I think we've talked about her since the very beginning of this I podcast. Know, I know, consistently. Yeah, totally. Um, but I've had some of her backlists sitting around for ages, and she's just never disappointed me. Really astonishing, diamond hard, really piercing, and um, I really love this book. So if anyone wants to read it, I 
Yeah, I think you should. Oh, I'm so tempted, but I'm not taking any okay. books on at, current, at, at present. I'm about to move house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, Bradshaw Variations. Newly, um, I think Faber have done some new rejackets as well. And another book I read over summer was um, Weather by Jenny Offal. And I read it over the break. Her novel, Department of Speculation, was one of my favourite novels of 2014. So I was excited she had a new book coming. Um, and thanks to Word Festival's wonderful Rachel King for lending me her advance copy. Um, it's out, I think, end of March maybe, so I'll probably talk about it more then. Ooh, um, yes. Kind of reminded me a little bit of a condensed version of Duck's Newburyport, like similar themes, but we'll talk about it more later. <laughs> I've, I, I've read that. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just so, case. So that's me. Nice. Thank you, Karen. Um, Gina, do you want to go next or shall I go? I can go. All right, let's go. do it. Let's do um, it. You got a little pile there? Yeah, I know I do, but <laughs> I don't actually have two of the ones that I'm reviewing with me. But um, I am going to review The Trauma Cleaner, One Woman's Extraordinary Life in Death, Decay and Disaster by Sarah Krasnostin. And this actually came out in 2017, but it's just come out in the smaller, B, cheaper B format. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the incredible story of Sandra Pankhurst. She's an Australian trauma cleaner. Um, she's owned this company for 26 years. Trauma cleaning is cleaning the remains of death, suicide, home invasion, pet hoarding, general hoarding, and meth labs. General hoarding. <laughs> yeah. I like how pet hoarding gets its own category. Oh, it's yeah, a bit man. triggering. So um, Chris Nostin uh, follows Sandra as she goes on different cleans, as well as telling Sandra's incredible life story, including in a hugely abusive childhood, transitioning from male to female, working in the sex industry, a horrific rape, being addicted to drugs, her girlfriend got murdered. So like all this stuff happened to her. So um, Speaking of trauma. Speaking of trauma. So the chapters alternate between the past and then present. So you have like... story about her childhood and then you'll have a specific clean on what at one person's house and how Sandra very delicately deals with either the body of a person or a person who's alive who's mentally unwell in this hoarding state um and she yeah she's so amazing um Krasnostin is a legal researcher and she met Sandra in the lobby of a conference about disabled offenders she was shilling Mm. her um her business her cleaning business in the foyer and you just think if they didn't run into each other this book would have never happened Mm. so it just feels very fateful that this um they got together and it's just such a wonderful example of really deep investigative character journalism um Krasnostin both observes Sandra and inserts herself into the narrative as well, which I quite like. Like she will reference things that have happened in her own life and and she's inside and outside and moving through. But also um, because Sandra doesn't remember a lot of whole blocks of her life. So she goes back and interviews like Sandra's ex-wife and finds out the the bits in the middle. Um, And... I don't mean to nag on about it, but it's kind of like what I wished Three Women was. Mm. <laughs> because Something a bit more substantial. Just meatier, mm. just yeah. super meaty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I actually listened to this on audiobook. It was my second audiobook. Um, and it's read by Rachel Tidd, who's an actress, and she did such a great reading of it. There are like these subtle changes in her voice between the characters. Sandra has this like 
she's a smoker and has this like gravelness, graveliness to her voice. Um, yeah, so it was just a really wonderful read. I think this is the type of book for me that's really great to read on audiobook, listen to on audiobook because it feels like you're listening to just a very long podcast. Wow, cool. Yeah. So I just loved it. Um, and yeah, I think everyone would love it. Yeah, I think I would for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'll be putting that on my list. Definitely. Um, I also have been reading Doug's new report. I'm up to <laughs> update on Doug's new report. Yeah. yeah, we've been talking about it for months. <laughs> I'm on page 870, everybody. Ooh, so close. Of 1,530 pages to go. Oh, I'm so proud. Um, I just want to say that it's so beautiful. I just wanted to read this piece from page 511. Um, and you might get the rhythm of this. Um, and this is her talking about um, her what she views motherhood to be. Um, the fact that my four kids are like four limbs and it feels like if I lost any of them, I might die. The fact that you'd think that with four kids, you could just divide your love up between them in quarters. So if you lost one, it wouldn't be so bad. Safety in numbers. But instead, the love gets quadrupled, leaving you with four times the anxiety, four times the sense of helplessness, four times the after-school activities and all the fact that people with no kids seem so free to me now. The fact that I half envy them them sometimes, though I know I shouldn't say so. The fact that, sure, it looks fun. The fact that most people are convinced that they've got to have kids, fertility clinics, hard-boiled eggs, and nobody tells them that they might be happier just the way they are. The fact that nobody tells them the terror of what could happen to your kids cripples your life. The fact that all mothers are going through this all the time, I think, but we never talk about it. The fact that I worry over every bruise, every blemish. The fact that you'll never know if you've given birth to a monster or if they've got some fast-growing tumor or what the fact that if every mum is worrying about every kid this much that's an awful lot of fear and anxiety resonating through the world mm. echoing skimming skimming a stone across the water Oof. If, I <sighs> if I wasn't so boiling I would have goosebumps right now. <laughs> <laughs> she's so amazing she is amazing and that's the pace of it as you're reading it every page is full of words a thousand pages. And every word is gold. And, and you yes. can't, that's why it's a slow read, eh? Because you actually can't, you can't miss a line. Yeah, exactly. You're reading every single word. Yeah. I really feel are. like I'm saying it to myself yeah, as I'm reading definitely. it. And just a really quick review of um, this book that's getting heaps of buzz. It just came out last week. It's called Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. I love yep. that title so much. Um, yeah, it's a good kind of like um, Big Little Lies Little Fires Everywhere type book. It's Reese Witherspoon's um, new book club pick. And it's about a young 25-year-old black woman in Philadelphia who's babysitting a white child. And she's in the supermarket with the kid. And a security guard thinks she's stolen the child. But then it becomes about the mother, the white, privileged, Instagramming mother, really thinking, I've got to latch on to this girl and see what she's about the her babysitter and it's just all about the nuances of kind of um kind of privilege class racism and then also like wokeness like mm. and kind of wokeness in the wrong place mm. yeah it's great it's like easy easy um it's going to be a tv show of course and um yeah i would read it in a couple of days cool it's interesting how reese for the student is kind of like 
kind of stealing Oprah's gig as like the, the yeah, book yeah. taste maker or I guess you know, there's more than room for more than one woman in the space I shouldn't be like that <laughs> that's funny because I never hear really hear about Oprah's is she even still doing Oprah's picks but I always seem to hear about Reese yeah. Witherspoon mm. I feel like she's definitely on the rise yeah. as and a she, book picker she kind of might I think she did that all by herself with her Instagram because her Instagram's mm. quite popular eh and she's always like sitting reading the books. So, well, she's a bloody good actress. Yeah, and she's chosen some good books. So, yeah, yeah, this was cool. I'm excited for the TV show. It'll be cool. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jenna. Great. All right, my turn. Um, so, I am reviewing for my main review a book called A Gentleman in Moscow. <laughs> <laughs> and it's by Amor Tells. And now, now I will address the reason why these two are cracking up. So this, <laughs> so I got this book from a stack of damaged copies at my work, and I was like, actually, it looks pretty. It looks pretty all right. And as I read it, I'm getting a photo fucking, of it. As I read it, the pages all completely detached from the spine. And so as I, it kind of came out in clumps. And so like. I'd open the book and like pick out a clump of pages and read it and then discard them. Wow. So it was, I mean, what am I, I know Tina looks really shocked, but what am I going to do, Tina? Like no one's going to, no one's going to want this book. It's like literally like just turns into garbage as you read it. Yeah. However. But the book's not garbage. Louise is literally holding the title and like with 10 pages in it. It's just, oh no, it's some more just came it's out. It's a shell. <laughs> <laughs> I just made it rain with uh, pages from a gentleman in Moscow. <laughs> anyway, okay. what's it about? Like- anyway, anyway, so this book came out. Actually, I'll just find out when it came out. Excuse me while I – oh, yes, this page still exists. It came out in 2016. Um, I think the paperback must have come out more recently because it was actually on the um, on the bestseller list for Unity Bookstore at the end of the year, like the bestsellers for the year. It's just one that keeps on just going. Keeps keeps going. Selling. I bet, keep I bet you guys have sold, sold a lot of yeah, these, right? Have you got a book called A Gentleman in Moscow? People ask for it yeah. by name. Eh? It's yeah. getting real yeah. word of mouth, eh? Really? Um, and I'm guessing that a lot of the people who ask for it are um, – uh, kind of middle-aged. Um, you got it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and beyond. And beyond, yeah. yeah, exactly. It is quite an old-fashioned book. Um, it is about a, a gentleman in Moscow. It is about um, Count Alexandra Rostov, and he had um, previously fled um, Russia after the revolution. Mm-hmm. He had actually returned because he's quite a patriotic sort of guy. He loves his country. Um so he's kind of rubbing along for a bit and then he gets, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that this is the premise for the book, um, he gets, he's fortunate enough that he has written quite a famous nationalistic poem um, and that is what saves him from being executed because, you know, you know, he's a count, he's bourgeoisie, he's, you know, he's not particularly party line. Sorry, this is set. <laughs> this is set. It starts just before the outbreak of World War II. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so we're deep in like communist Russia and it just gets deeper and deeper as the book progresses. So he is sentenced instead to remain in the place that he has already been residing and that is the Hotel Metropole, which is yep. a beautiful hotel in the centre of Moscow. Sounds nice. I mean, sounds all right, eh? But, I mean, if you think about spending the rest of your life somewhere, mm. it definitely becomes a little bit more of a complicated scenario. And I think, you know, at first he's like, you guys, he's like, sweet, whatever, it's fine. I love it here. <laughs> it's got, like, lots of gr- – he's a real, like, he, you know, he's a real bon vivant. He's – you know, he's he's a gentleman. He's not a particularly um, accomplished guy. He has written this poem, but, you know, he's kind of just like 
gets along on charm, but he's also a nice person. He makes people feel special and he's very good with like food and wine and kind of mm. making people feel comfortable at dinner parties and stuff. So he's a limited skill set, but mm. you know, it's perfectly, you know, substantial for the life that he's going to lead locked up in this hotel. Yeah. Um, but he actually does get, um, you know, watched by the authorities and, you know, he does get moved into like an attic cell, you know, from his former suite. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting kind of examination of kind of, privilege and you know also being you know in this kind of in this state that is not safe for you really and you're at any moment you're expecting to be killed but you're also leading this kind of artificial life of comfort and privilege um I would say that probably the reason this is doing so well is that it has a real a real feel-good element to it in a way that kind of reminds me of the novel Less which we reviewed last year yeah um who was the author of that Andrew Sean Graham yeah so again you've got that really you know a lot of quite gnarly stuff happens in this book but it's really uplifting it's it's quite an old-fashioned novel it's it's very straightforward thematically but a lot happens as well it's quite a long book I mean you wouldn't think it (laughs) (laughs) it was a long book it's um it's over 400 pages really yeah (laughs) originally Page 409. Yeah, I do. It's right there out on the desk (laughs) where I threw it moments ago. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I do really recommend this book. A fantastic summer read. Um, It's it's really meaty. I feel like the author has probably read a lot of of Russian literature because Mm. it's referenced quite heavily throughout the book. And um, that's actually another thing that uh, a sort of slight resolution of mine is to read some of the Russian Mm. novels. I've never read them. Mm. I would quite like to start with Anna Karenina, so... It's a long novel. I'll let you know how that goes. I I do like a long novel. Um, I think a couple of years ago I read A Dance of the Music of Time, and that's a series of long novels, Mm -hmm. and that was really enjoyable. Once you get in the groove, then it's really great. And then it becomes a mission. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Speaking of ducks. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then it becomes like part of your life, and when you finish it, you won't know what to do with yourself. You're confronted (laughs) with yourself. (laughs) And then I'll just do a couple of mini reviews. Um, the first one is of Sleepless Nights by Elizabeth Hardwick. <gasps> oh my gosh. You read it? Yeah. Yeah, you love it? She's amazing. Yeah. Did you love it? I did love oh, it. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of other kind of, I think it was written in the 1970s, I believe. Mm. Kind of reminded me of other kind of 1970s um, feminist kind of New Yorky texts like Fear of Flying. Mm. Um, and also, oh, it's it's terrific. Um and also Speedboat by Renata Adler. I was going to say Speedboat. Um, so very kind of freewheeling yeah. prose, um, kind of like she creates these sort of tableau scenes, um, just little set pieces where she'll talk about a friend. It's all about her friends and it's all about her and it's all just, I don't know, it's just really evocative of that kind of New York 1970s. Um, Real intoxicating, eh? Very like, intoxicating, intoxicating. Um, very intelligent people, not um, at the time wealthy, you know, like living in like shitty walk-up apartments, um, probably now all incredibly wealthy. <laughs> um, but, yeah, really do recommend that. So that came out, I think, um, in, a, in a new wish edition. Yeah. Last year. Last year, mm. yeah. So um, is it a New York, New York Review no, of Books? No, it is the edition. I've I've got an edition at home, which is a New York Review of Books one, but yeah. the new ones are maybe not Faber, but 
Something like that. I think that. something like yeah. that. And then, oh, um, maybe a cannon gate, maybe? Oh, yeah. You're such a legend, Karen. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for doing the research so I don't have to. Um, no, no, it's no, just... No, it's just in your head, <laughs> straight off the top of the dome. Um, and the reason that I got onto this book was because I saw it in a couple of newsletters from Volume Bookstore in Nelson. Yeah. And it was, I think it was Thomas's book of the year. Cool. So, yeah, he's got great taste. You can't mm. go wrong. Um, and then the other book, um, Tales of the City by Armistead Morpin. Mm. Um, have either of you guys read that? No. Um, so, yeah, another 70s title, quite mm. different. Um, when I read it, I was like, this makes a lot of sense as a context, again, for the for the novel Less, you know, because it's that very kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, gay men in San Francisco. Mm. Um, a lot more women in this book. The main character is... Um, I think her name's Marianne, um, classic 1970s, like, nice girl name. <laughs> mm-hmm. She, like, moves from the suburbs of some, some shitty, like, Midwest place to San Francisco and ends up in this kind of, like, you know, gorgeous old villa that's run by this mysterious kind of middle-aged lady who wears caftans and has a past. And, you know, like, the first thing she does when a new tenant moves in is that she, like, tapes a little joint to their door and it's all very, like, <laughs> bohemian and cute. It's very funny. It's very charming. I mean, it's just, like, so this is the first book in a series of books mm-hmm. by Armistead Morpin. So I've only read this one. This was a recommendation from Telford, um, mm-hmm. and he lent me his copy. Such a good summer read. Read it in the sun. Just mm-hmm. absolutely delightful. Bubbly. Terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Weird ending, though. We'll say that. Okay. And I'm covering my ass there because I feel like I gave it to my sister to read afterwards. I forgot to warn her about the ending. So oh, <laughs> if you're listening, training. Alex... Sorry. <laughs> a dog doesn't it. die, right? Um, no, but okay. some fucked up shit happens. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. And you're not expecting it. You're like, wow, everything was so chill until now. <laughs> well, as long as a dog doesn't die, yeah. I'm okay with it. Oh, God. I better check. Yeah, I'm pretty sure um, a dog doesn't die. The Bradshaw Variations, which I just spoke about, fucking dog dies. <gasps> and, uh, and it's just, I thought well, of Jenna. Jenna won't be reading that one. Yeah. <laughs> Jenna's boycotting dog yeah. death books. Well, yeah, I am. <laughs> Just honestly, fair enough. All right. Um, what's next? I'm ready know. to top myself up, actually. That's what's next. Well, maybe we should take a short break and fill our drinks. Da, da, da. Hi, I'm Leonie. I'm Alex. And along with our friend Michelle A. Court, we bring you On the Rag every month, which you can find at thespinoff.co.nz and on all good podcast providers. Once a month, we get together in the spin-off studio to reflect on the previous month of news, media, current events, and just life for women in New Zealand. It's a feminist podcast. It's a shrill podcast. (laughs) And we'd love it if you listened. Hi. Sorry to interrupt. We just wanted to talk to you about the spin-off members. Recently launched, it's a new program that allows readers to contribute to the future direction of our coverage. We'll regularly survey readers to find out what you care about and want us to cover. And if you donate over $80 annually, you'll get some sweet limited edition merch goodies. Head to thespinoff.co.nz slash members to find out all about it. Kakite. Hello. Welcome back to Paper Guts. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It wasn't funny. We're well topped up now. It was so well topped up. Um, all right, it's time for not books. It's kind of just creeped back up in there. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. I didn't even think I about know, it. I know, because we talked about ditching it, and then I sort of thought. I missed it. I'm, yeah, I missed it, even though it was kind of, remember, 
Like Maybe it, it was kind of the thing that annoyed me. I oh, know it was book news that annoyed me. Uh, <laughs> and continues to. <laughs> I know. I like not books. You're going to be so precise with book news, like I dates, know. venues, oh, you know, it's hard. what's going on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Names. <laughs> I mean, if anyone's coming to us for any of those things, then they're in trouble really, aren't they? <laughs> Google is your friend, I tell you what. Yeah. Just double check yeah. something. And look at our notes. They're usually fairly precise. They're very concise. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Very concise. Precise and concise. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm ready to launch into my not book. Go for oh, it. yeah, go for it. It's a mystery because you've got blank next to your name. Oh, well, I've mm. actually filled it in now, Jenna. So if you check in the last 10 minutes, <laughs> then you would know. Keeping us hanging. <laughs> Keeping you all in suspense because I only saw this piece of media last night and it is Cats. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> did Jenna you almost just did a spit take. Yeah, I went you to the movie. I went to the movie Who did you last say it night. Was? I went with my friend Grace. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so we got a comp ticket from someone in our work um, mm. who just happened to have one. Um, <laughs> I think it was so, <laughs> it was so, so very insane right from the get-go. And I do, <laughs> I do recommend going to it, actually. Are I you cracking up? I do recommend. Oh, my God, so much. And I, But I will say, yeah, a couple of caveats. Go with someone who has a similar sense of humor to you so yeah, that you yeah. can elbow each other throughout it. Me yeah. and Grace were just cracking up the whole time and just kind of really being annoying to everyone else who was seriously trying to watch this film, which I guess there must have been some. There were, like, some pretty, like, normal-looking people there who I think were just there to Was the theatre full the of people? Um, not particularly. It was 4.50pm on mm. a Tuesday. Oh, yeah. Um, and I don't think it's – I actually don't know what the numbers have been like at the at the box office. Um, yeah, I don't know. Google it. Yeah. Um, anyways, it, it was just, yeah, laughing from where to go. It was – so disturbing, so wrong, <laughs> so corny, and um, let me just bring up my notes because I did write some on the bus home. Um, I also recommend having a glass of wine at least. Oh, um, probably could have done with a couple given. more. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Um, so funnily enough, it was directed by Tom Hooper, who actually directed the recent His Dark Materials adaptation, which I really oh, you frothed loved, over. You loved that, eh? I mean, I possibly frothed a bit too much. I think I was a bit delirious. You were very but, um, exuberant. I think it might yeah. have been the heat. Yeah, I was sick as well. Yeah. But I was, I did, I did enjoy it. But isn't that the thing with the movie, is that it has all the right ingredients, but still yeah. is a disaster? I mean, I will say right at the top, I've never seen Cats the Musical. Mm. Um, I have, of course... Being me, read T.S. Eliot's Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats yeah. many times um, when I was a child, when I was a little child in a and pinnacle saved, with spectacles. Um, the musical saved Faber Publishers. It did. From, um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, Going out of business. So, I mean, yeah, it had all these great ingredients, like you say. Um, it stars Jennifer Hudson, Judy Dench, Idris Elba. It has cameos by Ian McKellen. All of them are extremely <laughs> poorly served by this film. Like, and I don't know how they could have. If it were me, I'd probably be like, would have been trying to get it not to be released. Yeah. But I have a feeling that they had a lot of fun filming this. Mm, right. I am apparently they went to some kind of like cats boot camp, and mm. so I think they were all fully like brainwashed into thinking that this was a good idea. <laughs> it was a terrible <laughs> idea. So, I can't believe Judy Dench is in it. Eh? Oh my That's god, the thing that bugs me out the most. She's oh, there's so many things. <laughs> I mean, I could just go down the line, but I will talk about Judy Dench briefly. Um, she sings, which is a bad idea. She's not got a great voice. And 
singing is a strong word because she's kind of talk singing, you know, oh, like, no. and it's like. Is uh, it like she's talking to a small child? Yeah, yeah. She's very like, and dear little oh, yeah. cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she's also the only cat on, oh, she's one of two cats, like two or three cats that have clothes, which I guess is like fair enough. She's a dame. She can do what she wants. But it's a fur coat, which is very mm. odd. And it's, I wouldn't want to see Jane kind of like Dench in a, like, in a body nude, suit. A it's, yeah. it's like a school play, eh? Like, oh, I'm playing very. a cat. I'm going to put a fur coat on. Like, being real good. inventive. And, yes, like, very nice. Oh, and I'm going to wear a bow tie. <laughs> why not? Um, okay, well, where was I on my notes? I, I, I want to kind of stick to my notes because otherwise I could just talk all day. Um, oh, yeah, James Corden's in it. He's actually one of the least offensive elements, and I mm. don't like James Corden yeah, very right. much. Um, but I guess I don't know who that is. Uh, he does the ca- couple is, karaoke guy. Oh, okay. And he was in Gavin and Stacey. He's a little bit annoying. He's fucking annoying. Yeah. Um, but it works for this film because yeah, everything I think about he's it is quite annoying. Yeah. 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 Um, oh yeah. So I guess like the main thing that is so upsetting about this film is that the decisions they made around how the cats look, and I know that this has been covered in other reviews, so I won't go on too much, but I'll, I'll try and de- describe it really quickly. The fact is they their outline is human, right? Their, mm-hmm. their silhouette is human. So you just see, you know, you see them in silhouette and you're like, oh, it's a human. But they're also, they're roughly the size of a cat, so they're tiny to scale humans <laughs> with CGI fur and ears that sort of move to convey emotion. Mm. Um and they've done some interest. They've made some interesting choices with the actors' bodies. I think they've kind of toned down the breasts mm. um, and the and the knobs. The the guys don't have any like Ken molds. Yeah, they look like Ken dolls, and it's fucking weird. And uh, someone told me that Ian McKellen has a huge dick, and he definitely he's like a Ken doll. This is very it's really weird. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a pervert, but you, I fucking noticed it. It was told strange. You Ian McKellen had a huge dick. I'll tell you later. <laughs> oh, um, one thing that I saw this kind of memey thing that went around <laughs> was that um, the thing that was really wrong with them was their noses, and so someone went. Through and screenshotted and drew like a black little line and cat's, cat's nose. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would have made a huge and difference. And they looked incredible. You wouldn't have even noticed that how weird they look otherwise because the nose made all the difference. It looks like, like a Snapchat filter, eh? Yeah, <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was very, very half baked the way they did it. Like, and also the scale of the cats kept on changing. So, like, it was very, very discombobulating. You felt quite dizzy. I will say that I do think it could become a cult classic because yeah. it is so bizarre. And I certainly wasn't fucking bored. It raced along. Um, the songs, I mean, they're from the musical, whatever. It's shit musical, but, you know, whatever. It's great. Um, I think the plot, again, I haven't seen Cats, so, you know, well, you the have. musical. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen the musical product, the stage show. And so I'm unsure whether they tried to do what they did in the, fil- in the film, which was to kind of bring these songs into this really hackneyed attempt at a plot in which they're all sort of competing to ascend to this weird cat heaven and then be reborn. It's very weird and cultish, actually, if I'm honest. It feels a bit Heaven's Gate, mm. um, <laughs> but for cats. Wasn't that another disaster? Um, the cult. Oh, no, I'm thinking of something else. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were. I'm thinking of the I film. thought you were. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Wow. Um, yeah, I'll just see if I have anything else to say. Oh, speaking of noses, Jennifer Hudson was playing Grizabella, the old and like kind of faded glamour girl. And it really, another thing that pissed me off was that they put like fake snot under her nose that fake she had for the snot. entire, like, you know, that like she had like a dribbling nose the entire time. And it was very, 
I find it very confronting. I don't like a snotty nose. No one likes a snotty nose. Um, especially if you're in a fucking film. Make it look good. Um, do I have anything else to say about that? Honestly, just go and see it. It is fucking wild. Um, the only people I would say not to see it are people who are like, I don't like musicals, full stop. If you don't like musicals, full stop, then there's a lot of singing and you'll be pissed off. But otherwise, get into it. Cats. Cats. 10 out of 10. No, not 10 out of 10. But do go and see it. <laughs> that was a great review. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right. Who's next? <laughs> if you dare follow that. I don't mind going next. Go on, yeah, go, go on. Do you want Karen. me to? Okay. Yes, I do want you Sorry. to. <laughs> Over summer, I needed to give my poor brain a break um, from book-related stuff, so I listened to cooking podcasts. <laughs> I didn't know that such a thing existed. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm going to tell you all about it. Tell me about it. So I found one called Desert Island Dishes, and it's hosted (laughs) by Margie Namura, and she has great guests. Um, She had Alison Roman, who's the New York Times food columnist, Mm. and she's got a great Instagram. Um, I recommend you check it out if you follow food and cooking Instagrams like I do. Um, And Felicity Cloak, who I really love. She's the Guardian columnist, um, and she's written books. And she writes that great Guardian column, How to Cook the Perfect, where she does all this research and looks at her old cookbooks and gives you the best method of making the perfect what roast chicken or whatever. But over summer I used her um, methods for how to make the perfect martini and how to oh, make the yeah. perfect Bloody Mary. Oh, <laughs> so good summer yeah. recipes. Yeah, real Delicious. Good. My favourite meals. <laughs> <laughs> She's super reliable. She's great. Anyway, so I really liked this podcast and it follows the same recipe as Desert Island Discs, you know, the BBC mm. um Podcasts and she asks celebrities things like, What dish remote reminds you of your childhood? And what's your go to dinner party um, dish? And what's the best meal you've ever had? Um, and what's the final meal you'd ever have before being cast away to the desert island? And so you learn about their lives through this framing, and it was just really wholesome and delightful and soothing and kind of exactly what I needed. But I want to tell you about this other podcast. I know this podcast. <laughs> Have you listened to it? Oh yeah, I listened to the I listened to the shit out of it. Yeah, so I listened to this podcast called Missing Richard Simmons, and I was intrigued by this from the outset. It's a pod from 2017, and it's made by Dan Taberski. And I guess you probably know who Richard Simmons was. He was the iconic, witty, flamboyant, charismatic um, American fitness guru who had a ginger afro and cost so wild that you can't really describe them you have to draw them mm. and so like there's a lot of shiny purple a lot of shiny and lots of glitter and um really larger than life he was on tally the richard simmons show and the in new zealand uh, safety video that was the oh, best yeah, safety yeah, video yeah, totally. that new zealand ever had i was like whoa what a coup what a <laughs> yeah, coup truly. Yeah. so famous for his motivational um aerobics videos and he was on letterman something like 33 times <laughs> really iconic anyway so he was a figure known for being really generous um to his fans he got really involved in their personal lives and helped them they're really unwell and depressed people um and for decades before he was a celebrity and even after he ran um a, a local weekly gym class called anatomy asylum that's what it was called eh Can't remember. <laughs> i think it was and then in 2014 he just suddenly disappeared completely from public view, uh, without a trace. And Dan Taberski, he attended this um, gym, and everybody there was so shocked and confused 
when he just showed up, no explanation. And um, you really get a sense of people just like, how could he do this? Where did he go? Like, what? He's not answering his phone. And they wanted answers. His public wanted answers. So this guy, Taberski, who, like, everyone felt like he was special friends with Richard Simmons, sets out to find him. And it starts out really compelling. And along the way, he interviews all these people whose lives Simmons had changed through fitness and motivational kind of one-on-one support. He literally saved lives. He really did. And it's quite touching and heartbreaking. There's one lady in Nebraska he interviews and she showed up at a mall where he was giving a talk and she slipped him a little bit of paper with her phone number on it with a heart around it you know like a fan just does that and then he he rings her wow. he actually rings her and she's as shocked as any of us and um he rang her every Sunday for years and became her one-on-one motivational coach and changed her life. She lost heaps of weight and had a healthy lifestyle. Did she? Are she paying him? No, 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 no money. Mm. No, he was. He became a friend, and then we found out that he was actually doing this to thousands of people. Wow! It's thousands of people. Um, he was just a very generous man who just really cared about people. But you know that under that. There's There's a sadness. There's a sadness. Um, And so you know what's going to happen. We find out that, you know, under this facade, he's desperately unhappy and he became a recluse. And there's this um, interview clip where he's telling the interviewer he hasn't been to anyone's house in seven years. He's just quite casual about it. I haven't been to anyone else's house in seven years. So it's got... Everything. It's really sad and touching and fascinating. There's some genuine crack-up moments in it. There's this audio snippet of Richard Simmons, and he lived, um, like, on the route of, you know, how they have celebrity tour buses, celebrity spotters, mm-hmm. where people cruise along and, you know, go past celebrities' houses looking for a glimpse of a celebrity, but he would actually go out and greet them <laughs> and meet them. And there's this one, like, crack-up audio bit where he goes out onto the road and um, he's chatting to these fans and this truck goes past and runs over his ankle and he's like, ow, ow, <laughs> you can hear him, ow. And then he's like, his, his like, ankle's all busted up and bleeding and then he's like, do you want a photo? <laughs> his ankle's all busted. This sounds amazing. Um, oh, yes, it's so good. And so we learn about his completely bonkers backstory. His parents, um, like Methodist or something, and owned a sweet shop and he was overweight. So he's literally a kid in a candy shop. And you get the sense that he was just always that sad kind of person. But then we learn all these crazy things about him. Like he was in a Fellini film when he was young. He plays a musician during an orgy scene. In satirical? Yes, that's the one. And um, he had a role in um, the Soap General Hospital. And we learn about his really sad, lonely childhood. But it's not before long that I think this podcast turns a bit dark and Taberski becomes a bit of a pest. A bit of a stalker. A bit of a stalker. And I think um, I just couldn't help but feel there's this kind of moral question at play. Um, What did Richard Simmons really owe anybody? I mean, he obviously was burnt out. He became public property and it becomes quite uncomfortable. Um, He's like this person who gave so much of himself and just got burnt out and couldn't do it anymore and kind of Mm. just fair enough, you know, what does he really owe anybody? But, um, 
Yeah, it's super compelling. You become hooked on each episode and you want to know how it unfolds if he finds his old mate Richard and what happened to him. It's just amazing. Yeah. Oh, cool. Great, Rick. Um, I would like to, off the back of that, say that when we first started recording this podcast, I, re- I reviewed another podcast. I thought you were going to say podcast I reviewed the same <laughs> No, no, no. Oh, my God, no. I don't think so anyway, but honestly, who remembers at this point? Um, no, I, review, I reviewed um, Obscure, which was a podcast oh, where yeah. a comedian reads Jude the Obscure aloud yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and comments on it as he goes. Yeah, yeah. That podcast has now finished. I listened to it all the way through, and I just want to give it another plug. It was mm. really terrific. And mm. by the end of the podcast, I think I said in, when I first reviewed it that, you know, the comedian kind of talks about his own life and I'm kind of like, whatever, I don't give a shit about you. By the end of it, I really gave a shit about him mm. and his, you know, he, he, his dog dies. Like, it's just oh, no. really. Jenna. Yeah, but I mean, the dog is not killed <laughs> oh in the God. service of plot. Yeah, okay, um, thanks. And, it, and, it, and, it's, and, and it's, a, it's a beautiful and moving rather than a violent mm. and horrific um, scenario. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to say um, you can now binge that. So do recommend it. And it's oh, a great cool. way to read Jude the Obscure without actually yeah. reading it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Jenna. I've just got some short reviews because I'm going back to some old favourites because <laughs> the new ca- the new season of The Casketeers has started. Yeah. And so I've just watched two episodes so far. Is it oh, still good? It's so good. Oh, I haven't so watched glad. the first one yet. Oh, I can't wait to it's, watch it. Um, but, and because now they've been on Netflix, so it's like, it's huge for them. It's back I, in America, eh? Like, I've got it. Yeah. yeah, I would recommend it to anyone if they wanted an insight into our culture. Absolutely. Um, and so the new season has um, baby Francis. They've just had their fifth child. No. And you have Francis Senior wearing baby Francis, like doing the leaf blowing, sorting out <laughs> bodies, um, just doing all leaves. the good stuff. Um, <laughs> and, but it's very, I'm finding the deaths more intense. Like we had a suicide of a 16-year-old. We did a pre-funeral arrangement. So there was a guy mm. coming in talking about his funeral and oh. then they just waited for the call and, and nine months later they showed his funeral. It's full on, but then... It's only half an hour, so you're on an emotional roller coaster, yeah. crying, laughing, crying, laughing. I love that. Done. That's how I like Wholesome. to live my life. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> Honestly, but this is this is also a good moment to plug the new book by um, Francis and mm. uh, Kaiwata Tippany. So they've got a book coming out called. Life is a Casketeer, and it comes out on the 20th of January. Can't wait. Oh, congratulations yeah. to them. Yeah, so yeah. cute. Um, so it talks about their life story and how they grew up and had a few possessions but were rich with love and tikanga and how they came to work in their often misunderstood hmm. profession. It's about the Māori worldview and traditional funeral customs. The Tippanese make death feel less mysterious and life feel more mm. precious. Mm. So um, that's published by HarperCollins New Zealand. I'm crying. Looking forward to it, eh? Oh, now you're going to set me off, Luke. (laughs) But you should, yeah, definitely, definitely watch it, but have a box of tissues. And then new season, Bachelor has started, so I'm all in. I was just telling these guys I'm quite emotionally exhausted. There's just so much debriefing of the show. It's just... (laughs) 
It's just relentless. It goes on and on, but I love it. Um, <laughs> I just I just read a spoof article by Emily Wrights on the spin-off. Oh, um, really? It's so fucking good. Oh, good. It's called Meet the Bachelors! Exclamation point. I was like, that's a bit weird. Um, I clicked on it. It is a spoof. Every one of them is some called some variation of Sean and is looking for, um, is, is a bit of a romantic and is a personal trainer. It is very, very funny. Because um, the new season of The Bachelorette's about to start. Is it some of the guys are... F- Sorry, that's it? what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I'm not as interested. I mean, I'm sure I'll watch it, but... Oh, really? Say all the way. See, I'm much more interested in the New Zealand Bachelorette. I'm going to watch that. It's going to be ridiculous. It is going to be ridiculous. Um, Can't wait to meet all the Shawns. The current USA Bachelor is a working pilot for Delta Airlines. Uh, and I... Did book a Delta Airlines flight. Oh, you don't want that. Um, sometimes you just don't want that extra insight. <laughs> <laughs> He's Pilot Pete. That's his name. Oh, Pilot Pete. <laughs> and um, so he, um, and they do lots of kind of Top Gun reference, like oh my shots gosh. of him, filler shots. But yeah, apparently Montage. he comes out and waves at everybody as they get off the plane. Uh, so I'm just like, come on. <laughs> Can I just, um, I have to disclose my like little thing. I just have this thing where I can't see the pilot because for me it feels like bad luck to see the pilot. (laughs) And um, I just don't want to know because sometimes I I just don't want to see it. I don't know where this comes from, but yeah, if I'm flying, I just don't want to see the pilot. And once I was actually seated next to a pilot. Um, not while he was flying. Not while he was flying. No, 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 no. Oh, baby, he Karen got to sit in the cockpit. <laughs> little bubba dance. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so um, I don't want to know about Pilot Pete. Jesus. I don't want to meet him. So, this is a really specific. Um, <laughs> I, have like no feeling. I have no feelings on pilots, mm. so, but I won't be watching either. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I I've, mean, I'm. I've converted one staff member to the show, so Man, you're a woman you? on a mission. Yeah, are you going to name names or yeah, Kate? Kate oh, Kate's okay. watching. Kate's into it. We Snapchat a lot while we what's on. So <laughs> yeah, watching on TVNZ on demand, same day as it's showing yep. on TV. Oh, Very good. Ah, uh, what a world! What, what a world! world. Um, all right, it is time for the TBR pile. Let's fucking bust through this shit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to shout that. Um, so uh, I just have, I'm just going to name one book, really. Um, All Among the Barley by Melissa Harrison. Oh, that looks fantastic. Ah, so I had yeah. not heard of this book. It came no out last year, I believe. It. Yeah, it did. Um, it's Bloomsbury. This was recommended to me by um, Becky Nunes, the um, mm-hmm. the marketing and publicity manager at my work. Um, we were talking about how much we both enjoyed the book Reservoir 13 by John McGregor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, we, and we were also, also talking about Lanny. And those um, by oh, Max Porter. Lanny. Lanny is fantastic. I maybe preferred Reservoir 13. Oh, really? But they are quite similar yeah, um, right. in terms of having that kind of, and we were talking about um, Ghost Wall by Sarah Moss, that kind of like, eco-thriller sort of genre that is kind of quite popular, I think, especially in um, in the United Kingdom at yeah. the moment, mm. um, which I think is a really terrific um, kind of sub-genre. Um, the whole sort of, you know, you, you have like a human element, a human, a human kind of thriller, but then you also have, uh, you have them working in relation to the landscape in a way that's quite yeah. threatening, but also really, really integrated and sort of shows um, the place of humans 
in relation that. to the landscape. I mm. love I that. I love that anything that evokes the natural world. I'm really, mm. yeah. Me yeah. too. Um, so that's out, uh, came out last year at Bloomsbury. Um, so I'm very excited about that. And then the other things, just in general, like I said, I wish to read Anna Karenina this year. So mm, cool. stay tuned for updates on that. Yeah, <laughs> that might be the new that. Ducks Newbury board yeah. of, this, of this podcast. Um, Karen? Oh, right. So on my to-be-read pile, it's a bit of a um, mongrel mash. Um, so the book that I am one book away from reading is American Dirt. Same. Um, which Jenna has on in her pile right here so she can tell us who the author is because mm-hmm. I can't remember. Janine Cummins. Janine Cummins. Yep. Heaps of buzz about it, but I'll let Jenna talk about it in a minute. And I'm going to read Strange Hotel by Ema McBride, Ooh, which yeah. I'm really excited about. I'm such a fan of her work. And I've got some unfinished business that I need to take care of. So I've got to finish Actress by Anne Enright, which is coming out in February. I've got about 50 pages to go on that. And I'm 20 pages away from finishing We Are Made of Diamond Stuff by Isabel Widener. So maybe I can talk about that on the next pod. That was on the Goldsmiths Mm. Prize shortlist. Um, Great queer writer. And I've started reading this book here, which is, um, I've read three pieces from it so far. It's At the Pond, Swimming at the Hampstead Ladies Pond, um, which ties in really nicely with the Tessa Hadley novel I talked about um, because it's Hampstead. And um, it's just pieces about um, the ladies' pond in, um, is it northwest London? Anyway, it's, it's, yeah, around there. It's it's very famous. Yeah, it's very famous swimming pond. Um, Swimmers from the age of 8 to 80 swim there. It's a big deal. And I just kind of think, wow, swimming in a pond, that sounds so gross. I know, it's so gross. Pond muck. And the pond weed, you know, like um, <laughs> duck scum and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, goose shit. Fantastic pieces, though. It's got um, fourteen writers, uh, including one of our favourites, Leanne Shapton, yes, Charlene Teo, um, Deborah Mogak, Deborah Mogak, and Margaret Drabble, and um, also the um, Nina Mingya Powells who is um oh New Zealand poet she's a yeah New Zealand poet and um oh she writes um like little pamphlets and um yeah she won an award recently she did she won like a a, international guy she's won a couple of significant awards actually Mm. one of them was um about nature right the nature writing award and then a poetry award um international awards I really loved her piece and the Leanne Shapton piece was amazing but yeah I want to finish this oh Um, that sounds awesome I am definitely keen to read that yeah real beautiful and I have to finish it um tonight because I'm reviewing it on RNZ tomorrow yes You can do it. I, I believe in it. you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's my to be read. Um, I've got, yeah, American Dirt. This is going to be a hugely buzzed book for 2020. It's called The Modern Day Grapes of, do you say Roth or Rath? I say Roth. 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 Grapes of Roth. Um, it's a border crossing story between Mexico and the USA, and everyone I know who's read it so far has had their minds blown off by and this. Like, um, real diverse people, eh? Yeah, like, like quite different people. Yeah. Um, it's causing there's a little bit of like Twitter controversy about um, the author Janine Cummins was just said in a couple of days ago in a New York Times review that she doesn't know if she's the right person to tell the story. She's a white woman telling the story of a Mexican woman, but that is an interesting discussion to have, and I think it'll only mm. add more you know discussion around the book. Um, I'm 
about to go to a panel discussion where she's talking about how to speak about the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I bet some people are going to put their hands up in yeah. that conference. I'm so um, interested to know. Yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> You'll have to give us a debrief. Yeah, totally. So I'm going to read that on the plane on the way over. And then I've just discovered this little um, trilogy called the Copenhagen mm. Trilogy by Tove uh, Devletson. Letson. Um, I think this looks very Louisa-y. Um, I was just like frothing over how gorgeous they look. Beautiful. beautiful penguin covers, the kind of millennial pale pink. Um, so these are translated works and really slim trilogy about um, this woman's it's a, it's a biography about her life um, originally published in Danish in the 1960s. It's a story of addiction and mental illness and I was talking to my colleague Suri about this because she said to us yesterday that it kind of reminded her of Caitlin Moran. And I was like, whoa, this is so, not what, so I not what I Because I flicked through them when I ordered them for the shop. Yeah. And I was just like, when Suri said that, I was like, oh, what? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it doesn't look Caitlin Moran-ish. She was talking a bit more about it to me today um, of how it's like really insular and it's about a young woman trying to be a poet. And then the uh, war is like a backstory. It's just yeah. like whatever World War Two. Yeah. I want to be a poet. <laughs> That's a great analogy. Yeah, though. yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited. They're just such – look at those beautiful covers. Oh, my so, um, so yeah, I, I do not just snatch them out of your hand. I know. And uh, and then also The Guardian said it says raw and poignant as Jeanette frames – oh, Janet, sorry, Jeanette. Jeanette. <laughs> frames an angel at my table. Oh, gosh. So, Big buzz. And then I'm just actually for my very light read, um, reading Nina Stibby's Man at the Helm. She wrote Love Nina and I Mm. reviewed that last year. And it's just like very, very light. But I just read it at a chapter at a time and it's very charming. Is this an older one or a newer one? Um, So it came out after her memoir and there's a trilogy and it's about, it's kind of semi autobiographical about the kids living in this village with their singles. uh, mother who's a woman about town um, and she just like sleeps with all the married men in the village um, <laughs> but they're trying to find her a boyfriend that's very very sweet it's got mm. some jam tarts on the cover which look really mm. good I know it's funny reading this with Ducks Newbury Port because oh, yeah, there's so many tarts. pies yes, and tarts and Ducks yeah. Newbury Port but they're on um, this cover is so. it because she's a tart <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about how to let's finish yet, this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Dunzo. Thanks, guys. Thank um, you. Thank you so much to Tina. It was so nice to see you again. I missed you. Um, and um, thank you to you guys, our listeners. Feel free to subscribe. I mean, you probably already have, but who knows? I don't know your life. Um, rate us on iTunes. It would be awesome if you did yeah. that. You don't even have to say anything. Just hit that five-star button, baby. Yeah. Um, and just remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and feel free to email us. I thought about something that you could email us about. If there was something on our TBR piles that you want to hear more about on oh, the yeah. next podcast, just yeah, let yeah. us know. Because we oh, don't know. Yeah. We don't know what to review. It's always a bit of a scramble. Any help is appreciated. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Thanks so much, guys. Kakite. Kakite. Bye. Kia ora e te iwi, te Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. 
If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.